0: Good evening. It's good to see you tonight. Um, I'm going to try to do this outside. Uh, It's nice weather out here, especially in the shade. There's a bulldozer or something uh, not far away, so if that makes too much noise, I'm sorry. Hopefully you can hear me. So tonight's tough question is a little different. We're going to ask, is once saved, always saved biblical? And you're probably familiar with that phrase, but if you're not, we're going to explain it. Uh, Here's what it comes down to. We've all known people who've made commitments to Christ, uh, but today, at some point in their past, they they got baptized, they went through confirmation, they prayed a prayer, they did some uh, formal ritual that said, yes, I identify as a Christian, I'm giving my heart to Jesus. But today, they are living a life that is completely unchristian they're not going to church anywhere they're not living in a way that is in any way distinctively christian or christ-like and uh, some of us have people like that in our families all of us have people like that in our social circle and we all wonder what is this what is the truth about those people are they saved are they not saved For that matter, what about me? What happens to my soul if I wander away from my God? What happens if I commit a terrible sin, a sin bad enough that it destroys my family and that wrecks my Christian witness or even splits the church or drives people away from the Lord? Uh, what What if I come to a point in life where I start to doubt God's love or the truth of scripture? Is there a chance that what I have now is gonna be lost? So this question, very, very important question, really comes down to two questions. And the first of those two questions is, will God ever reject one of his children? Is it possible for a believer in Jesus to ever do anything that would cause him to turn his back on us? And the answer from scripture, I'm happy to say, is a resounding and unequivocal no. So I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures in this study. And for this question, there are four. Uh, John 10, 28 through 29 says, This is Jesus speaking as the good shepherd of the sheep. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Notice there, by the way, this isn't what the study is about, but notice that Jesus and the father are one here. To be in the Father's hand is to be in Jesus' hand, and to be in Jesus' hand is to be in the Father's hand, and nobody's strong enough to take, the, take anyone away from him. And I know the devil hates that passage because it reminds him that when someone comes to Jesus for rescue, that person is lost to the devil forever. He can never, ever have that person again. Second scripture, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Note the word sealed. The Holy Spirit seals us. He uh, guards us. Note the word guarantee. You are guaranteed eternal life once you are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 is another one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. In other words, you're no longer the same person. It's it's not that you've just made a transaction. It's not just that you've joined a new team. You have become a new person. As my friend, uh, one of my favorite preachers, Joe Joe McKeever, says, you can't unfry an egg. In the same way, you can't unsave a Christian. So you are a new person, so you can't go back. Fourth... John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I, as a father, and by the way, that's one of several passages of Scripture that teach that if you are in Christ, you're a child of God. You've been adopted into His family. And as a dad, that really resonates with me because I understand that there's nothing one of my kids can ever do to make them not my child. I know that they will disappoint me at times because they're human. They're going to fail at times, and yet I will forgive them. I will continue to love them. Even if I were a bad enough dad, or they were able to do something so horrible that I would say, I never want to see you again, they would still be my child. In the same way, once we're adopted into God's family, we'll always be His children. We will always be His and you might wonder, is there anything in the Old Testament about this? Well, there's, there's a couple of concepts to know about in the Old Testament. One is, in Exodus 40, 12 through 15, it talks about the process of a man becoming high priest of Israel. And it's very interesting, the high priest of Israel was the guy who stood between the people and God, who performed the sacrifices on their behalf, who basically made the people right with God. In order to become high priest, you had to be from the right family, of course, but there was a ceremony to become high priest. In in Exodus 40, it talks about the the high priest had to be washed from head to toe and then clothed in the high priestly garments. But here's the interesting thing, and here's the relevant point. That only had to be done once. That was done one time. That's it. After that, every time the priest came into the presence of God, he would wash his hands and feet in the basin that was there in the holy place, and that was all that was required. There was only one washing, one washing of, of his entire body. And, and the Bible goes on and tells us in 1 Peter that we all are priests. See, now that the Holy Spirit is here, now that Christ has died for us, we don't need a high priest anymore because we all are priests. We all get to stand before God and offer our own sacrifices, come before him as uh, in, in our own way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means... In the same way the high priest was only washed once, we're only washed once. When Christ comes into us, that is our washing, that is our cleansing. That's why we symbolize it through baptism. And that only needs to take place once. After that, yes, when we come into his presence, we should confess our sins. We should repent of anything, any way in which we've been rebellious against him. Why? Not not because he'll reject us otherwise, but because that's how you have a healthy relationship but we only need to be washed once. The other illustration from the Old Testament is, think about God's relationship with Israel. If you read the Old Testament, you know that over and over again, the same thing happened. Israel would turn their backs on God, and God would discipline them in some way, and they'd come back to him, and every single time he welcomed them back. And you might say, well, yeah, Jeff, but didn't he allow their nation to be conquered and them to be carried off into exile? Yes but he still welcomed them home. He still brought them home. God never rejected Israel no matter what. So think about all the implications of this. Does that mean there's literally nothing I can possibly do to get God to reject me? Yes. Does, does that mean that if I commit some sin of, of absolute open defiance against God, Like if I murder someone and cover it up, or if I abuse one of my children or my wife, if I uh, start an extramarital affair and then when I'm confronted, refuse to break it off, can he forgive me of that? If I become the worst kind of hypocrite, like, One of those family values politicians who secretly is abusing and harassing every woman on his staff or uh, the kind of person who runs a business and is a pillar of the church, but in my business dealings, I'm dishonest and I'm cruel to my employees. Or what what if I become a heretic and I'm openly teaching things that are contrary to scripture? Can God forgive me for those things? Yes. Yes, he can. Now, even those sins will not cause him to reject me but I still face earthly consequences. I still wander in the wilderness away from him. My life apart from his will is going to be miserable and it's going to hurt people around me, but I'm still his. And some people might say, well, that's, that's a terrible doctrine because that means that heaven's going to be full of some really bad people. Yes, and I'm one of them. And if you're saved, so are you. Heaven's going to be full of nothing but bad people. There is absolutely no doubt that's the way grace works. So that's the first question. Can, can God ever reject one of his children? No. But the second question, and here's where things get a little more complicated. Is it possible for a person who has committed to Christ to choose to walk away from him? So we know God won't reject one of his children, but will he allow one of his children to walk away on their own. He won't, he won't let someone snatch us from His hands, but will He let us leave Him? Or will He hold on to us? That's the, that's the tough question. Now, there's, there's some really tough scriptures that I want to read for you. First Timothy one. In later times, some will depart from the, from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Some will depart from the faith, Paul says. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. You know this one. You've heard this one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Note, he's talking about people who did things to help others in the name of Jesus, who did mighty deeds that we celebrate. And they'll get to judgment day and find out, oh, I'm, I'm not really part of the family. There will be surprises on judgment day. There's no doubt about that in scripture. John 15 verse 6. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So some who seem to be in Christ will not abide in Him, will not remain in Him, and they'll be cast away. Hebrews 6, 4-6, through this is probably the hardest one. It is impossible Now, there are some who look at that scripture, including my friend Joe McKeever, and would say, that's talking about a hypothetical situation. If someone ever walked away from Jesus, rejected him, they could never be saved again because then Jesus would have to die for them again. But it's not talking about something that's actually possible to happen. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just reading you the scripture. Now, there are several scriptures that talk about the need for Christians to endure, to stay with Christ. And here's three. Mark 13, verse 13 but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Colossians 1, 21 through 23 says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. If indeed you continue in the, in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, if indeed you continue, implying that it's possible that some of us are not going to continue in the faith. And then there's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Again, there's several, that, several passages in Scripture that indicate it's important for us to hold on to Jesus. It's important for us to maintain our faith and not fall away. And, and we know of situations where people have fallen away. I mean, my first point notwithstanding, we can all tell stories uh, of people we know who were once active in church, and now they're not. We, we know of people who got baptized, who prayed the prayer, who went through the, that ritual of salvation, and we don't see them anymore, and they're living a life that for all intents and purposes is an unchristian life. The internet is full of deconversion stories. Of people who talk about, yeah, I used to be an evangelical Christian, I used to go to church, I used to believe in jesus now i 've come to believe none of that 's true, and and they 're used by internet atheists and others as proof that the gospel is false. The early church had to deal with this issue. Remember the early church faced persecution, poverty, faced ridicule, even at times martyrdom, and there were people in the church who would fall away sometimes because of persecution, sometimes because of martyrdom on the on the stand when they were tied to a stake and, and about to be eaten by a lion or burned to death, there were some who would renounce Jesus rather than be uh, be martyred for the faith and the church had to wrestle with the question if if you if you reject Jesus at any time, does that mean Jesus has rejected you? Does Jesus say, "Okay, if you want to leave me, go ahead now there are three different options that people that the church has historically wrestled with when it comes to folks who walk away. Number one, there's the option that this is a person who is truly saved. God will never let them go, but they're straying. Right now, they've, they're wandering from faith. They've backslidden, but they'll come home. In the meantime, they're going to live in exile. They're going to live in a state of misery because they're, they're cut off. They've cut themselves off from the Father's love and from the Father's guidance, uh, and they're reaping the <laughs> earthly... Uh, punishments or the earthly consequences of bad choices, but they haven't lost their salvation. And I know this happens. I've known people this happened too. It's probably happened to some of you who are listening to me right now. You could probably give the testimony. I was saved when I was X years old, but then there was that period of life where I wandered and then I came home. The second option is that these people were never really part of us. And this is something the Bible specifically addresses. In 1 John 2.19, the the Apostle John says, "...they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us." So even in the first first century, John is saying, some of the people who are in our churches right now are not really believers. Either they're false brothers although I'm sure that was rare back then when it really didn't pay to be a Christian, or there are people who have, a, have a, 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 a semi-understanding of the gospel, who like what they see so far, who are trying it out, who maybe think they understand, but ultimately they're going to come to a point of recognizing this isn't what I signed up for, I, I don't really believe, or I'm not willing to commit myself fully, and that's going to happen. We'll see that happen. People will leave us because while we thought they were part of us, they never really were. And then there's the third option. The third option is that this person has truly walked away from God. They once were part of us, and now they're not. That's a third option that the church has wrestled with. Is that possible? Is that something that Scripture says is possible? Again, there's disagreement. I don't think it's possible. I believe, as for me, I believe that the, the preponderance of scriptural evidence is, like I said, once you're God's child, you will always be his child. Even if you choose to walk away from him, he will never give up on you. You can't unfry an egg in the same way you can't unsave someone who's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Even if they walk away, even if they wander, and they suffer those consequences, it doesn't change who they are and what has happened in their lives. So, I, I, I just need to say, I'm humble enough to admit This is my opinion. This is my interpretation, and I could be wrong. The Bible's clear about this. We can know for certain that we are saved. You can know whether you are truly in Christ. You don't have to wait until Judgment Day to find out. 1 John 5, 13, I have written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. There are many other scriptures that indicate God wants us to be certain, and that only makes sense. I don't want my kids to wonder how they stand with me God does not want you to wonder either. You can be certain of your salvation. On the other hand, it's also clear that some other people can give lots of outward signs that make us think they're saved, only to find out on Judgment Day that they weren't. We're not given the criteria to be able to to ascertain or judge someone else's eternal state. So maybe, maybe instead of asking the question of, well, when this person prayed the prayer when they were eight or nine, was it real? Instead of focusing on their past or instead of focusing on the future, do you think he's going to heaven or not? Do you think she is really going to be there when we get to the new earth? Instead of asking about their past or their future, maybe we should focus on their present. Remember when Jesus went around preaching the gospel He didn't do like what we do. He didn't walk around saying, hey, pray this prayer so you can make sure you go to heaven when you die. No, he simply said, follow me, follow me. And that leads me to to my last two points that I need to make. And, And the first one is our focus should not be on getting people into our church It should not be getting people baptized. It should not be asking people to pray the prayer. All those things are good, and we should continue attempting them and seeking them, but our focus should not be on a one-time decision. Our focus should be on making disciples. Our focus should be on making disciples. I've known some families who get involved in church, and, and they stay involved in church long enough for their kids to get baptized, and then once their kids are baptized, they sort of fade away. And there's this idea, well, mission mission accomplished, my kids are saved, and that's all that matters. But our job is to make them disciples. That's my job as, as a dad. I've baptized both my kids. It was one of the best days of my life when I baptized my daughter, and then again when I baptized my son several years later. But that wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning. It's my job for the rest of their lives to invest in them, to pray for them, and to, to pray that God would send other people to invest in them and pray for them and, and to disciple them. See, the hard part about that is that's a job that never ends. Discipleship is a job that never ends. It's a process that continues the rest of our lives, but that should be our focus. The second thing, and here's where I'll end. While we focus on the person who's never met Jesus, and that is a good thing to focus on, we, we, can, we, we cannot forget the brother who has wandered away. That person matters to God too. He's part of our mission field too. The gospel or the, the epistle of James, written by the brother of our Lord, ends with these two verses. James five nineteen through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. If you bring back a wandering brother, you've saved their soul from death. Does that word death refer to everlasting hell? Or does it refer to the, the living death of walking and living a life outside the will of God? I don't know. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. I don't have to know. God's going to work that out. My responsibility is to look at the brother or the sister who has wandered away and not try to figure out whether they're saved or not, but to say, I know you're not where you need to be and I want to love you, and I want to reach out to you, and I want to pray for you, and I want to do anything I can to influence you back into the family of God, into the family of faith. And when we do that, we're putting ourselves into the shoes of Jesus, the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep in the field and finds that one who is lost. And aren't you glad he's that kind of shepherd?